You are listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Hi, this is Dr. Vera Bittner, President of the National Lipid Association. I'd like to welcome you to Lipid Luminations, hosted by Dr. Alan Brown and presented by the National Lipid Association. It's a well-known fact that exercise has a huge impact on our patients' cardiovascular health and overall well-being. But how exactly does exercise benefit lipids and hypertension, diabetes, and many other disorders? I'm joined today by two guests, Dr. Carol Garber, Associate Professor of Movement Sciences at Columbia University, and Mr. Jim Whitehead, Executive Vice President of the American College of Sports Medicine, who will help us understand the current science behind exercise as medicine. Welcome, Jim and Carol, and thank you very much for taking the time to be on Lipid Luminations. Thank you. Carol, if you don't mind, we'll start with you. Can you uh, help us understand the important role of exercise, both in the primary and secondary prevention of cardiovascular disease? And if you could go through for us maybe some of the data on how much exercise is required to gain those benefits in prevention. Exercise is really important both for primary and secondary prevention of heart disease. I mean, just an example for primary prevention, reduction of risk in somebody who's more active is somewhere between 20 and 30 percent. So it's a huge reduction in risk. And for somebody who has heart disease, there's also a reduction of risk of having future coronary events. So it's definitely something to be considered for cardiac patients. And it's not so much exercise that's needed in order to get some of those benefits. The recommendation is about 150 minutes of moderate to vigorous exercise each week. And that translates into somewhat hard walk, maybe a mile to three miles a day. People can also get benefits at much lower levels than that. So particularly patients who are fairly deconditioned will get many of these same health benefits at much lower volumes of exercise. I read something recently that the duration of exercise at any one time isn't so critical. It's the total amount of exercise for the day. So is it just as effective to do three 10-minute exercise sessions as it is to do one 30-minute exercise session in a given day? It's absolutely true. So it does seem that it's the total volume. So that's both the intensity of the exercise and duration. And evidence shows that you can do that exercise in 10-minute bouts several times a day to meet a goal of about 30 minutes a day. But in fact, it's possible in many people to get benefit at lower levels than that. So even as little as three to five minutes several times a day will also have benefits. That's certainly encouraging for people who can't seem to figure out a 30-minute slot in their busy schedules. They can go out and go for a 10-minute walk or a five-minute walk and still get benefit. Exactly. As far as secondary prevention of cardiovascular disease, would you mind giving us a little bit of the data that for our patients that have established coronary disease, exercise will benefit them? And also, could you comment on some of the controversies in the literature about the benefits of cardiac rehab? Well, I mean, certainly the benefits in terms of mortality and morbidity that I already mentioned, but some specific benefits in patients with heart disease. For example, regular exercise will increase brachial artery flow-mediated dilation. 
So it demonstrates a clear benefit on endothelial vascular health. It also will help to control blood pressure and blood lipids. So also other benefits that are very important for our cardiac patients. Cardiac rehab, I think the controversy is not so much as to whether exercise is beneficial for people with heart disease, but whether they need to go to an organized cardiac rehabilitation program versus going to the local gym. And I would argue that cardiac rehabilitation program is actually more beneficial because of the fact that it addresses all risk factors besides just exercise, and it provides a lot of social support. So it really does help to take patients who are very inactive and help them to develop an exercise habit that's regular. Yes, and as an interventional cardiologist, it gives both the patient and the doctor some peace of mind also that they can do moderate exercise and we can monitor them for arrhythmias while they're exercising or the development of angina and have a professional there in case they have a new cardiovascular problem. Right, and I'm glad you mentioned that as well because patients are often quite fearful after they've had a cardiac event and having that reassurance is really vital for them regaining their activity. Excellent. Jim, before we get into more science, can you share a little bit about the American College of Sports Medicine and what role it has in the development of research for exercise as medicine? Sure, be glad to. Thank you. ACSM was founded in 1954, and it is the largest sports medicine and exercise science organization in the world. It has over 40,000 members and certified professionals, and the real focus is to advance science in this area and translate it accurately and rapidly into education policy and practice with special emphasis on clinical practice. Can you tell us a little bit about the Exercise as Medicine program and how the ACSM has developed this? The Exercise as Medicine program and it's an initiative, it's a campaign, essentially it's a collaborative network of over 200 organizations worldwide. It's really dedicated to the goal that healthcare and fitness are worlds that need to merge. We are looking at the profound increase in evidence and science as has been addressed here of the importance of physical activity in regard to maintenance of health and prevention of disease, management of disease, and so forth. So essentially what exercise as medicine is, it's obviously the fact of that, it's the strategy, but exercise as medicine is also this organizational effort to get healthcare organizations and their members to really focus on the physical activity needs of patients in regard to health maintenance and also in regard to prevention of chronic disease. Well, it's an exciting project. You know, the prediction is that one in three people will be diabetic by 2100 due to obesity. On the day after the health care reform bill was passed, it's rather striking that there was really not much about reducing illness in terms of lifestyle modification. So hopefully uh, these types of projects will be beneficial to those of us baby boomers who are going to be getting older and heavier to try and reduce disease. So thank you very much for those efforts. Surely. Carol, can we get back to science for a minute? And uh, could you describe to us the specific benefits on blood lipids from exercising and maybe what we can expect in terms of control of blood pressure with a regular exercise program? Sure. Well, specifically in terms of lipids, regular exercise benefits both HDL cholesterol and serum triglycerides. And 
the magnitude of the effect is about somewhere between 5 and 38 milligrams per deciliter reduction in triglycerides with exercise that's within the recommended range of above 150 minutes per week. And HDL cholesterol increases about 2 to 8 milligrams per deciliter. And if you think about that with every milligram of per deciliter increase in HDL, there's about a 2 to 4% reduction in risk of coronary heart disease. That's pretty significant. And in terms of blood pressure, exercises also has a beneficial effect on both systolic and diastolic pressure with the greatest effect on individuals who are hypertensive. The magnitude of effect is somewhere between maybe 5 to 6 millimeters of mercury in systolic and diastolic pressure. And the effect is both acute and chronic. So if individual exercises, the hypotension effect lasts for up to 24 to 26 hours. So quite considerable. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Lipid Luminations on ReachMD XM160. I'm Dr. Alan Brown, your host. Our guests today are Dr. Carol Garber, Associate Professor of Movement Sciences at Columbia University, and Mr. Jim Whitehead, Executive Vice President of the American College of Sports Medicine. And they will help us understand the current science behind exercise and the Exercise as Medicine program from the American College of Sports Medicine. Carol, if I could get back to the comments regarding lipids and uh, blood pressure. Could I ask you, in an individual patient, how predictable is it that they will get an HDL rise or a triglyceride lowering with exercise? Is this something you can predict in individuals or more predictable in a larger group of patients in a clinical Well, of course, the figures I gave you are more average results. So with an individual patient, there is a fair amount of variability so that there are some people who don't respond very much, both in terms of hypertension changes or with lipids, but most patients will get at least a modest benefit. And I should mention that that's without weight loss. So if the person also adds some weight loss, the magnitude effect on both blood pressure and lipids is substantially increased. So Jim, getting back to the world of policy and exercise... ACSM and the American Medical Association launched this Exercises Medicine initiative, and you described to us the basis of it, which is to develop a policy and work with businesses for exercise. Can you give us a quick update on what the status of the project is? Yes, it's going significantly. It has a huge momentum among organizations. We're looking at this really as something that is multidimensional. It certainly what medical societies and healthcare, health-related organizations can do, influencing their members and working with patients. We also recognize that there is a whole health policy and legislative policy aspect of this. As was mentioned, the healthcare reform vote, I'm currently in Washington, D.C., and been on Capitol Hill most of the day meeting with Senate and House leaders, really looking at once this healthcare reform current effort is completed, as it appears that it will be soon, the real issue is what's next beyond the mechanics of that bill, but really, as you alluded to earlier, focusing on what really can be done in regard to disease prevention and health promotion. There are 
a large number of individuals who are probably going to go from uninsured to insured, and we clearly do not want that just to end up being treating these individuals because of chronic conditions and diseases based on their lifestyle. So we are looking at what are the next steps that can be done both in the non-governmental sector but also in the governmental sector to really try to come together to enhance the role that physical activity and lifestyle can play in medical clinical practice and also looking at how can patients be engaged in expecting that kind of counsel when they see the healthcare provider. So we have a number of things coming together that we think is going to take that kind of synergistic effort to achieve everything that we want to with this idea of exercise as medicine. Yeah, that's terrific. I think those of us in medicine are struck by the fact that the only way to reduce costs in the future is going to be not to provide more care, but to reduce illness, which will mean that individuals will have to take more responsibility for better choices in terms of what they do. So in your opinion, do you think that physical activity receives adequate share of funding for research and programming, both from the federal government and other sources, compared to the other medical science that we provide funding for? It's certainly increasing, and it's increased exponentially over time. We think that the value of the scientific discovery and the application of that to health improvement and disease prevention and disease management are corresponding. There's a huge return on investment, we think, in the science and what that actually can translate in regard to health improvements. We are working, for instance, with the National Institutes of Health to ensure that we diminish or remove any barriers to the further advances of federal biomedical research related to the physiological effects of exercise. Things such as self-reporting and objective measurement, all the kind of building blocks of any kind of scientific enterprise. We're working very carefully, very closely, again, with NIH and with other federal entities to make sure that we remove those barriers and that the whole scientific enterprise continues to advance. We always think that there should be more and that there's a powerful opportunity in regard to looking at scientific discovery and the public health implications of all that, but it is building momentum, and we're just trying to take the steps to encourage that along. Well, thank you very much, uh, Jim Whitehead, and thank you, Dr. Carol Garber. We've been talking with both Dr. Carol Garber, Associate Professor of Movement Sciences at Columbia University, and Mr. Jim Whitehead, Executive Vice President of the American College of Sports Medicine. And I'd like to thank you both for a very interesting discussion on the role of exercise in cardiovascular health. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Lipid Luminations, presented by the National Lipid Association. For more information, visit www.lipid.org.